We've been in a teaching series called, uh, called Lifehouse, how, how to, to live a radiant life. This series is based off uh, uh, the parables of Jesus, the teachings uh, of Jesus. And in one of Jesus' parables, he tells the story of, uh, of a demon, uh, an unclean spirit that's driven from a house and driven into the wilderness, driven into the desert, driven into a deserted place, and it wanders around there for a while and gets sick of being in the desert and returns to the house. And when he gets back to the house, this unclean spirit finds the house swept and clean, and everything is in order and in place, but the house is empty. So he goes and he invites seven more evil spirits, unclean spirits, even worse than himself, to come and occupy the house. And it it is a teaching about our interior castles, the interior of our lives. As we seek Christ, as we accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it's not enough just to just to claim Christ, but we must fill our lives with the essentials of Christ. We must fill our lives with the teachings of Jesus Christ, because if we leave space, if everything is clean and in order but empty, what will inevitably happen. If you ever had a bad habit, just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. So this is about filling our lives with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Actually living these things out. If we claim him to be Lord and Savior, are we, are we really living out that belief? And Jesus teaches us, you know, it's not enough just to live these things out, but we must teach these things to others. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the triune God, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And so for the past few weeks, we've been going through what are the essentials? What are the teachings of Jesus Christ? And we've been looking specifically at parables, and we've talked about a bunch of different things. And today I want to tell you two of Jesus' parables, two of his teachings about prayer. Now, these are, these are a little bit different than, uh, than some of your thoughts and thinkings about prayer. The first one is a, a parable that comes out of Luke chapter 11. If you brought your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a parable of a pestering neighbor. Now, both of these two stories are to teach us about prayer, but they're really unique. He comes at it from a very different perspective. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, he says, Uh, Jesus speaking, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. He says, suppose you, so already he's engaging us in the story, those around him, the crowds of the disciples, he puts them in the story and says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived from a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. All right, so already we're in a peculiar place because how often do you go to your friend's house at midnight? How often do you go and knock on your neighbor's door at midnight? Yeah, never. Like this is something something off kilter is already happening here, right? And if you do, it must be an emergency. And the emergency is that you have had someone show up at your house extremely late. In the first century, you don't travel after dark. There's wild animals, there's, there's robbers, there's all kinds of things. So no one would ever plan to arrive anywhere after dark. No one would ever plan to arrive anywhere late, especially not as late as midnight. So already you know something has gone horribly wrong 
in this story, right? Something has, has gone horribly wrong in this situation. Someone has, has completely miscalculated a, a time frame. Their, their, um, their Google map had led them in the wrong direction. They got lost. Something bad has happened. But nevertheless, when someone shows up at your house, you have a duty, a duty of hospitality that despite the time, despite the excuse, despite the lateness, you are beholden to be hospitable to them, especially to provide food for them. Are you with me? Look what happens next. So you're banging on, the, on your neighbor's door, and in verse 7 it says, And suppose your neighbor, who is tucked in his bed, calls out from his bedroom, what would you say? Go away. <laughs> Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. Can't you get a hint? Can't you get a clue? And, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. So you're banging on the door at midnight saying, hey, I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. And the door doesn't open. You just hear a voice from the other side of the door saying, go away. The voice on the other side of the door says exactly what we would say. Don't you know how long it took us to get the kids to bed? Right? The door is locked. It's midnight. The lights are out. Can't you get a clue? And then look what verse 8 says. Remember, this is a teaching about prayer. In verse 8, Jesus says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, like your neighbor's not going to open the door because he's your friend or he likes you that much. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. He's not going to get up for you because you're a friend. He's going to get up because you aren't going away. Do you see that? Shameless persistence. It's, it is unembarrassed boldness. Like, I'm just going to keep knocking. Stay in bed as long as you want. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to keep knocking. And because you are such a pest, eventually he's, you're just going to wear him out and then he's going to give in and give you what you want. And the moral appears at least, you know, if you know, annoy him longer enough, long enough, pester him long enough, wake up his whole house, you know, if everyone's awake anyway, then maybe you'll actually get what you wanted. This is the first teaching Jesus gives us about, about prayer. But, but if he doesn't emphasize the point strongly enough, he tells us a story of not a, a, a pestering neighbor, but a persistent widow. In Luke chapter 18, he tells this story same, same, for the same purpose, to teach us about prayer. He says, there was a judge in a certain city. And the judge said he, that he neither, cared, neither feared God nor cared about people. So already we know he's the worst judge ever, right? Because he doesn't respect an authority above himself. And he doesn't care about the needs of others beyond his own self. Is this the guy you want judge in your case? Absolutely not. Keep going. And in verse 3, two characters in the story, a uh, uh, a judge who doesn't fear God or like people, and a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So a widow in the first century is, is someone who is champion 
uh, champion less. A widow is someone with, who, who is weak or vulnerable or exposed or alone. No one to defend her or stand up for her. So most of the rights, most of the, most of the wealth, most of that was passed down through, through the male line. And a widow would be left out, would be, would be stranded, would be homeless maybe in some instance. And so in Scripture, you see all of this attention God pays to widows and orphans, right? The, these abandoned, vulnerable ones... But there is no force on the planet equal to that of a determined woman. <laughs> Amen. I, I dare say we have a few women uh, in our church that uh, remind me of this person. Because there's fire in this old gal still. This woman is not to be trifled with or ignored, and she makes it incredibly clear she's not going anywhere until she receives what she's after. And we're supposed to, uh, you know, the people around her are embarrassed by her. You know what I'm saying? Has that ever happened to you? Like, uh, she has this kind of, what's the, what was the language the last word used? Shameless persistence. You know, uh, we, we land on, sh- on persistent, but just shameless I mean, this woman is making a spectacle of herself repeatedly until she gets hurt. And, and that, that may be embarrassing to the fr- her friends or, you know, like, we don't know her at all. You know, she, she's making this huge scene. But the, but the point is we are supposed to admire that. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit more. I want to show you the last couple of verses, verses 4 and 5. So we have a judge that's not listening. We have a widow that's not going anywhere. And eventually, look what happens. Surprise, surprise. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. The words of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant request. He simply couldn't hold out, right? The woman flat wears him out. And that language is it's kind of interesting. In the Greek where he says, but this woman, like, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman, like, I'm scared of her. And that's the picture. It says, uh, it's translated as, she is driving me crazy, but a literal translation is that she's striking me in the eye. Literally, it means that this thing is about to result to violence. That's, that's how far she's taken it. Does that, do you get this picture? Like, he's about to get a black eye from a little helpless grandma, right? It is about to be taken to him. And he may not have feared God, but, but he feared this woman and her persistence. And he decided to settle her case, not because he wanted to or not because he liked it, but just to get her out of his courtroom, right? Just for some relief. Now, these are unique teachings about prayer, don't you think? This is a far cry from go into a room and shut the door by yourself, right? 
But I kid you not, this is Jesus' teachings on prayer, and there's, there's a lot for us to learn here. And, and the first thing, if, if you want to take some notes, the, kind of the first lesson of this is that in prayer, we have a role to pray. We, we have a role to play. Maybe a better question is, are your prayers sincere? The church father, Augustine, was recorded as praying, Oh God, make me pure. On his knees he would pray, Oh God, make me pure. And then in a whisper that no one else could hear, he would say, But not yet. But not yet. Have you ever prayed for something you knew that you ought to want, but truthfully, you didn't? Pray for something that, that you, you feel like I'm supposed to be praying for this and I know I should want this, but, but was there any real conviction? Oh, God, make me thin as you drive into uh, Krispy Kreme. Oh, God, help me pass this test, but you procrastinate and don't study at all. Oh, God, help my neighbor come to church, but you never extend an invitation. What is God to do with our half-hearted, insincere prayers? Prayers lacking any willingness or effort or, or persistence on our part. When we pray, we expect God to act and to move, right? What if God expects the same thing of us? When we pray, maybe it isn't just His action that needs to happen, but is it unreasonable to think that he expects the same thing from us? Now, that's a whole different level of conviction when we pray, right? Because now all of a sudden our prayers are not these passive things that we just pass off to God who is somewhere else and it's up to him. But there becomes this active element of prayer of like, I am praying for this. I need to take responsibility for this. Did you notice that, that in both of these stories, Jesus uses to teach us about prayer, no one prays. Did you see that? Instead, Jesus tells two stories about people who won't be satisfied until that object of their desire is acquired. The message is that it is not enough for us to passively ask without being actively involved. And so a prayer that we say that depends completely on God to provide and we do nothing is maybe unreasonable. Um, it made me think of this, uh, this other widow. She was in the news recently. Um, you, you may have seen her. Her, her name is Toya Graham, and uh, Toya lives in Baltimore. And uh, you guys know about the unrest and the stuff that happened in Baltimore uh, recently. Toya is a single mother. She has six kids. And uh, when, when all of this unrest and, and, and kind of rioting and, and stuff was happening in Baltimore, Toya got word that her 16-year-old son, Michael, may be starting to get in the wrong crowd, may start be to, to get into, into with some of these rioters, may, may, may start... He, he may be, she just got word from some friends that he might be kind of lining himself up against the police and up against the authorities at the, at the mall. And Toya jumped in the car 
and drove to the mall to get her son. I want to show you a clip. Uh, here, here's One what moment. happened. From the chaos in Baltimore that had people cheering for more. Mother of the year. <laughs> I leaped out of my yes. chair and said, yes. I was captivated. Captivated by a Baltimore mother reading the riot act to her 16-year-old son. <laughs> to remove him from the riot. We now know her name is Toya Graham, and she's a single mom of five girls and a boy. Here's what she told CBS News about her brand of tough love. That's my only son, and at the end of the day, I don't want him to be a Freddie Gray. The Baltimore man whose death in police custody sparked protests. Her tough discipline won muttered admiration and outright applause of a mother desperately trying to keep her son from joining the rioters and you know she was she saw yeah she quickly started to trend on twitter hashtag baltimore mom she went to pick up her son at the mall because she heard trouble was brewing there and he said ma he said when i seen you my instance was to run you know, I'm a no-tolerant mother. He knew he was in trouble. The video was shared and analyzed from the right. Like, look, at, right there is the moment that I think just gripped my heart. And the left. Here's a kid that'll take a break and throw at a cop, but ducks when his mother comes and slap him. Is he the perfect boy? No, he's not. But he's mine. Send in the moms, read one headline. Maybe you really are the mother of all moms when you can inspire this kind of look in your tough guy son. Genimo, CNN, New York. So you remember this story? I mean, she was everywhere. She was on the news everywhere. And, and I know that's a crazy story. And, and I know that, like she gets so far that she's speaking in tongues in there. I know y'all saw that. And I know that's not necessarily how, how you should pray. But, but Jesus says, in these two examples of a pestering neighbor and a persistent widow like Toya, Jesus says, that's how you're supposed to pray. Do you see that? He says, that's how you pray. Toya didn't stop at just praying for her kids, but with unembarrassed boldness, with shameless persistence, right? Made a fool of herself out there in front of everybody. But with shameless persistence, she will see the prayers for her children answered. That she has a role in her prayers. And, and it's not the whole truth, but, but surely a half-truth about prayer is that at some level, God requires our cooperation in fulfilling all the requests we give. You may, in fact, be the answer to the prayer you're, pray you're praying. Maybe the reason your prayers have seemed sadly ineffective isn't a lack of God's effort, but a lack of yours. The shameless widow and the pestering neighbor, they give us permission not to just pray, but to act on those prayers. You have a role to play in your prayers. In prayer, you and I have a role to play. Second lesson. Second lesson from these stories about prayer is how much more. Um, 
Now, I need to clarify because this gets, this gets a little bit confused sometimes. So sometimes people look at the, at the stingy judge or the groggy neighbor as God, right? Uh, we want to we insert God into this thing like we're beating on the door and God, God is asleep in the bedroom saying, leave me alone, or, or God is this unjust kind of judge that's only concerned about himself. He doesn't have time for our concerns. And so we have to, some people have looked at this story like, we have to pester, jo- pester God and, and bug him. And, and somehow through, through our diligence and effort and, and perseverance, we kind of have to shake God and wake him up before he answers our prayers. And that is not the message of these stories. The point is not the likeness between God and the judge. The point is not the likeness between God and the neighbor. The point is the incredible contrast between God and the sleepy neighbor. The point is the incredible contrast between God and the selfish judge. The point is where they were so unwilling God is incredibly willing. Some of you grew up with, uh, with dads that, that just weren't around much. I was lucky to have a dad that, that was there um, all the time. But even a, even a great dad, a great family, uh, my dad who was there all the time, there were moments that I can remember my dad was like, you know, he, he had brought work home and he's either sequestered kind of in his office or, or he was kind of sequestered at the kitchen table, you know, and, and, and you can just see, and as a kid, I didn't realize, but you could see just kind of the stress on his face of bills and providing for us and getting everything in order and how we're going to pay for this and all this kind of, you know, the weight that sits on dad's shoulders. And us kids would gather around and say, dad, come on, let's play hide and seek. And, and I would say that I love my dad, and he was awesome, and he was always there for us. But there were times that he wasn't, right? There are times when, when my kids have come and, and pulled on my leg and pulled on my shirt and say, Dad, Cannon needs my attention, or Harper wants my attention. And there are times that, that I just haven't been available. We've all know what it's like to have have be in those relationships with others that just just don't have time for our request like like sleepy neighbors or, or judges that are occupied with other things we know what it's like to to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and get and get nothing and try to poke and try to prod and get nothing but that is not the picture that Jesus paints of prayer in Luke chapter 11 verses 11 through 13 right after this story Jesus said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people, like lazy neighbors or unrighteous judges, know how to give good gifts to your children, what are those next three words? Say them again. What are those three words? How much more? Not the same, but totally different. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God may be up busy, working late at night, 
But when you pray, he drops everything. God's probably doing something more important than what you need him for. But Jesus says, when you call and ask him, he puts all that down for you. How much more will your loving father give you his time, his energy, his attention over a sleepy neighbor and a crooked judge? Now, we have this perfect example of a father who is always willing. I love what uh, uh, William Barclay says. He says, the prime lesson is not that shameless persistence painfully extracts blessings from an unwilling God, but that in prayer we are coming to one who is our father and who's even more ready to give than we are to ask. Look at your, look at your neighbor right now. Just turn and, turn and look to the person next to you, to the left or right of you. I know this is awkward. Look to the person to your left or right. And I, and I just want you to give a very simple message. I just want you to tell that person as you look in their eyes that God is willing. Do you believe that? If you believe that the God of heaven and earth is willing to hear your request and to answer them, then I just change your world. We want to believe that God is this kind of, you know, and that's kind of our picture is God's just kind of scroogey, you know, not, not really very excited to give. No, God is anxious. God is willing more than the best examples we can give on earth, here on earth. God is willing. So we have a role to play in prayer. How much more willing is, is anyone or is anything? God is willing to answer our prayer. Finally, um, one last, uh, a, couple of, a couple of more teachings from this. And sorry, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. Um, there is only one perfect prayer. Um. Sometimes we ask God for, for selfish things, and sometimes we ask God for uh, seemingly noble things. Um, sometimes we face, we, say we face difficulty, and we face pain, and we face struggle. Sometimes we face things that, that seem, seem so far beyond what we, could, we, we, can, we can comprehend but just because God is willing doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to give us everything we ask for. Uh, I, I know we've used this example before, but I'm not going to give my seven-year-old the, the keys to my car, right? She may ask and she may beg, and uh, I may be willing, but I'm not doing it because I know what's best for her. And there is something for us to learn in that prayer as Jesus is in the garden you know, he has this picture of what's coming. He has this picture of, of incredible pain, of, of hours and hours and hours of, of suffering where it's going to feel like the whole earth, the whole world, he's going to feel like he's so alone that he has been deserted. He's physically going to be tortured. And Jesus himself prays, God, if it's possible take this cup from me. But he adds, 
the one perfect prayer. But not my will, but yours be done. And if we believe that God is this willing God, this perfect example who wants to provide and who loves us and is, is always there for us, has never turned his attention from us, then the best prayer we can pray is, God, your will be done. If we believe that he has our best intentions at heart, even though we don't understand, even though we don't like, even though we, we, it's uncomfortable, if we really trust God to be willing, then we must trust his imagination above our own. Do you think God has a bigger imagination for you than you could have for yourself? And we must pray the one perfect prayer, your will be done. We have a role to play. God is willing. One perfect prayer, your will be done. And finally, the last lesson is um, your kingdom come. In this world, you will have, what did Jesus say? He said, trouble. He said, it's going to happen. There are going to be times in this world where you're going to need bread, and you're not going to get it. There are going to be times in this world, because of the fallenness of this place, that you're going to want justice, and you're not going to find it. And Jesus reminds us in this next slide, go ahead and put it up there. He says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. And what's that last word? I love that Luke includes it. There is so much richness in that one word, isn't there, right? There, there is so much desperation in that one word. And it, it teaches us that, that a Christian prayer is fundamentally a prayer for the rule of God to come. For everything that God wants to be accomplished, for everything that God wants to happen. There are things that happen because this is a fallen world, com com not completely under the rule of God yet, not completely under his reign. There is, there is evil spirits and there are other powers and other forces and other principalities at work in this world. And that is the cause of, of death and pain and sorrow and sin. And so we pray, Father God, may your kingdom come soon. And so prayer becomes this, this kind of endurance. It becomes this, this thing that teaches us to hold on. It becomes this anchor. I don't know what I was thinking about Vanderbilt. Anchor down. I don't even know what that means. But it, you know, it's that, it's that idea of, I know no one likes Vanderbilt. Um, <laughs> totally off the subject. May your kingdom come soon is, is this prayer of holding on, uh, of, of holding fast with, with, with shameless persistence. No, come what may, I'm not letting go. Come what may, I'm not giving up. No matter how bad it gets or how dark it is, I'm putting my hope in a kingdom come. I love a... Uh, 
in, a, in just a few moments as we enter into a, a time of communion. I want to play a video of a song. It's a song we've done several times before, but David Crowder does this awesome song called Come As You Are. And uh, in, in this song that you'll hear, he has this incredible line that, that fits so perfectly with May Your Kingdom Come Soon. He says in, in this song, this great line, he says, Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. And so maybe things are dark or difficult right now. We pray, may your kingdom come soon. Last passage of scripture I want to share with you. As we think about persistence and holding fast and, and uh, rea- reality of us here today, but a hope for a hope for our future, Jesus says at the, at the end of this story in Luke chapter 11. He says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Shamelessly knock and the door will be open to you for everyone. You see how inclusive Jesus is right there? Everyone. For everyone who asks receives The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So in just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss you with a prayer to a a time of communion. We have a communion station set up around this space, and uh, I know maybe it's a little bit different for some of you, but we invite you to stand up and and to enter into a time of communion uh, with, with your spouse or, or with your neighbor or with your kids. Or if, you're, if you felt really called to, to just have a private time with, where you commune with God, then we invite you to do that. On the tables are the elements of communion, the, the bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ, the, the cup that represents the blood that was poured out for you. As I dismiss you after we pray, we'll, I want to play that, that, that Crowder music video of that song. I want you to, to hear and experience those lyrics of earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal as, as you take this communion. But as you move into this, this responsive time, and, and there's a couple of things that happen. You're responding to Christ in communion. Maybe you're in a place where you need prayer. And, uh, and uh, the shepherds and I, we'll, we'll be, make ourselves available for that. In fact, if you guys just want to come to the front, I know everyone's going to move into the back for communion. I'll be right here at the front willing to pray for you, to receive you. If, you, if you'd like that, some of our elders would be here too. But as you enter into this space... May you knock. As you enter into this space, may you approach our Father in heaven who is willing. As you enter into this space, with all the troubles of this world, I invite you to ask, to to pray, to look into the face of God, to stare into the face of God who loves you, and ask, your will be done. Your kingdom come soon. And at the same time, as you ask for these things from God, I pray that you would accept your role in shamelessly bringing His kingdom here. 
bringing his will into your family, into your heart, into your actions. Let's pray together and then I'll dismiss you to a time of communion. Father God, I thank you so much for for your words. I thank you that uh, in all of the busyness of things that you are doing around the world, that as we call upon you, all of a sudden now we have your full attention. God, I'm, I'm, I'm so humbled by that thought. I, I'm, I'm not even, we're, I don't even know that we're worthy of your attention, but you're so willing to give it. And so, Father God, I pray that you would help us to realize our role in this world, our role in this place, even, even as we pray for our friends and neighbors, as we pray for the sick, as we pray for, for peace, Father God, we have a role to play in this place. And and that as we pray, we would, we would experience the, the conviction of, of a pestering widow and a neighbor that just won't go away. That, that, that we would become shamelessly persistent in, in our pursuit of, of your will in this place. And Father God, there is nothing greater than we could ask than for your will to be done. And God, I say that because I'm, I, I'm scared even saying that. Because we are surrounded by troubles and pain and sorrow and death and sin. And Father God, we ask that your will be done. Not necessarily that, that our pain would be relieved. But that the things that you want to accomplish in this place would be done. And that we would endure. We know this world that we live in right now isn't, isn't, is far from perfect, but is a fallen world, far from you. And so, God, we pray your will be done, your kingdom come. And that starts with us, and it starts with our relationships, and it starts with how we, we, we work and the ethics that we practice and even the tone of voice we use with our kids. Father God, your will be done, your kingdom come soon father god we know we have these moments before you because of your son jesus christ it is only because of him that we have access to you and so father god as we enter into this time of prayer into this time of communion we remember your son jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us father god we love you and your son jesus name everyone together says amen